Now, in studio, your lending expert, family man, and servant leader, who's committed to honoring and empowering San Diego's servant leaders to rise up. Your host of Rise Up Radio, James Carmody. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You are listening to Rise Up Radio. I'm your host, James Carmody. Episode 129. We're in year three. Thank you so much for all the love and support. It is just an incredible honor and a privilege to be able to lead these conversations week in, week out with the servant leaders of America's finest city. And we have we have some great guests in store for you uh, today in from our military. And we're going to start with our gentlemen that are in charge of our borders in the sea. We have uh, two gentlemen here from the United States Coast Guard, Captain Joseph Bizella. Welcome to the show, sir. It's another great day to be in Coast Guard City, San Diego. Thanks for having us here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Triple T, Mr. Tristan Taylor, I apologize for what your rank is, sir. I know you're an aviator. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a lieutenant, but uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. He's one of our finest. Ask him. <laughs> Are you one of the finest? I would I would not say that. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, I would expect nothing than the captain to bring the best in here. Yeah, that's true. That you I know. did. I did. You're not going to bring scrub in here with him. And I brought, I, brought a, I brought a true American hero. Uh, you know, we're going to brag a little bit about Yeah, let's today. talk about that. I mean, we don't need to get into your backgrounds. I mean, I know that you guys, you know, love this country. You fight for your country, and I know why you're here. But right. I know he. we've had some exciting journeys. There's a couple stories about, uh, we call him Triple T, but his name is Trustin T. Taylor. Uh, but, of course, in fine Coast Guard aviation, we, we give nicknames out. Yes. Um, he's got a few, uh, but we'll call him Triple T for this segment. But uh, I brought Triple T because he's a newly minted uh, recipient of the uh, Air Medal, uh, which is a very difficult medal to get. You have to... Uh, go into very dangerous conditions, put your yourself uh, in harm's way uh, to to uh, to get your mission done. And in this case, he put himself in grave danger along with his crew to save lives and uh, Hurricane Harvey. So he uh, he he went down to Harvey, uh, uh, hit some really uh, terrible conditions. Uh, typically, most I like to joke with the DoD guys, especially the Navy guys, as they're pulling their aircraft in, we're pulling ours out. Uh, yeah. to go fly because the storm's coming. And uh, within three days, uh, he and his crew saved uh, 55 people. And then the, the unit as a whole, the Coast Guard Sector San Diego aviators, uh, there were more down there. Over the course of three days, they saved uh, over 200 people. Wow. At just, just San Diego alone at Hurricane Harvey. So I'll let Triple T. Well, incredible, uh, and thank you for that. Give us the play-by-play, though. Walk us through that, you know, like starting with the call. What, is that, what does that even look like? Well, yeah, so, you know, the we started deploying troops or uh, troops on the ground down to Houston whenever we knew the hurricane was going to hit. Yep. So I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to go down to Houston along with, uh, I went with James White, Kobe Mason, Lyman Dickinson, and Hal Martin were part of my crew. And uh, we all went down there together. And, you know, as soon as the hurricane hit, we were pretty much in the helicopter spinning up ready to go, along with a lot of other Coast Guard air stations across the U.S. who had all sent their their pilots and air crews down there as do well. We, do we have big station Houston? Uh, is it a big station? No, I think it's a three or four helicopter unit, if I recall. Okay. No, it's not a big unit. It's like it's similar to what we have here. Really? Ours yeah. is only three or four here yet? We mm-hmm. have three uh, Coast Guard helicopters here. We need to work on that. Yeah, of course. But we have but we have Coast Guard uh, aviation assets uh, sprinkled throughout the entire uh, California coast and even the West Coast. Got it. Yeah, so, you know, everybody pretty much just had showed up and 
was ready to work. The uh, The weather was terrible, obviously, because it's a hurricane, you know, 50, 60 mile an hour winds. The cloud ceilings were down at 200 feet, a lot of rain, Next lightning. No visibility. Exactly. Uh, but pretty much every Coast Guard uh, air crew member down there was showed up and ready was ready to work. And that's exactly what we are ready to do in the Coast Guard is we're an- ready to answer that call. So we had pretty much got down there and we'd gotten the helo and, you know, they were giving out tasking, pretty much fly around. You'd see people on the roof. They'd be waving you down with flashlights. Or, What's the visibility like? I mean, are you just glued to the radar at that point? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you can, you know, luckily, you'd be lucky if you could only see a half a mile in front of you. If not, it was wow. worse than that. So yeah. Yeah, it was definitely difficult to see. Uh, but, you know, we, we operate so well as a crew together, uh, communication-wise. And so we were able to safely and effectively navigate through downtown Houston and the surrounding areas. Um, and then, you know, we'd pull up over a neighborhood, find people who needed uh, to get out. And we'd lower down our rescue swimmer and basket, and we'd lift them up. And it was just pretty much three days of that nonstop with every Coast Guard crew member that was down there. What he's not mentioning is there are other aircraft flying, too, from the other services. That's what I'm thinking. So, you know, uh, trying to navigate in low vis, not hitting towers and power lines at the same time. Also, with FAA, not, you know, the Federal um, Aviation Administration kind of, you know, they're shut down and severely degraded. These guys are also having to coordinate not uh not hitting other aircraft that are flying too in low vis situations so very very dangerous very challenging yeah uh situation but he he earned that air medal and we're pretty proud of him and say more about this air medal i mean it sounds like something that's extremely difficult to get um and quite an honor right i'll tell you well i'll let you talk here in a second but you know (laughs) i remember one time uh many many years ago when i was a lieutenant there was a pilot that um he was pretty he was very gung-ho but he said to me one time, he said, "Man, I really want to, I really want to go for one of those air medals." And and then I said, uh, "I don't want to fly with you, uh, because you don't go after those air medals. That's right. you know that they they just kind of happen, and and it's your you you fall back on your training, uh, your proficiency, you know, the master of your craft. Go in and make the job done, but you don't go looking for it. Um, when the time comes, you make it happen, and if you know, and if you do well, um, then there's a reward system at, at the end, something very prestigious like an air medal. But you don't go chasing them. Yeah, you don't need to be the cowboy if, if no. the weather's too severe. There's probably a reason that things aren't in the air. Yeah, because sometimes you you do. Sometimes the situation may exceed your capability and or the capability of the aircraft, and sometimes you got to say, recognize that and say, you know, maybe we we should not launch on this. Yeah, and that does happen sometimes. Preston, what's it, what's it like, um, you know, that type of mission? So, you know, the FAA is, is is severely downgraded, as you said. You have multiple aircraft in the air. You have half mile visibility or less in some cases. Are you are you coordinating with like ground assets that say, hey, okay, here's the coordinates, go here. There's you know this family, blah blah blah, and then I need you to go there. How does it like? How does the coordination work? Uh, so. You know, people would call into the Coast Guard Air Station or the Coast Guard units and say, hey, I'm at this location. Like I need help. Or like, like just Correct. Like citizen would. Okay. Exactly. And uh, so they would pretty much, they had a giant list of everyone who needed assistance. Wow. And they would kind of just, you know, farm out Coast Guard assets to go and, and help these people. Uh, we also had other air air units that would orbit ahead, you know, the fixed wing assets. Yep. And they would also kind of coordinate some of the rescues as well. But, uh, you know, initially it's it's kind of... It's kind of clustered. There's a lot of confusion. Sure. But you eventually get to the point where you get it all ironed out. But, you know, predominantly Coast Guard Coast Guard members are, they're going to be the ones running 
for the trouble, <laughs> to the trouble to help people. And that's what we're so safe and effective at doing. Thank you for that. And I, you know, I've been doing this for uh, 32 years now. I joined in 86. And in my experience and from my observations, I've gone into crisis myself. Um, but what I've seen, and even you know, kind of leading and you know, letting folks go into crisis, what I've, just, what I've seen from my observations are that when, when there is a crisis, when the Coast Guard shows up, things stop getting worse. They start getting a little better. And the Coasties just start making it happen and getting it done. And they take charge where they need to take charge, and they, they, they meet mission uh, when they need to meet mission. So it's a pretty impressive uh, group of folks. You guys are leading the charge. I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm out of that, that world now. I mean, I fly a little bit, but I, I'm not standing duty anymore. It's these guys like uh, Trustin that are standing on the watch. There's folks there right now standing on the watch as we speak, uh, whether it's surface assets, so, you know, small boats, co- Coast Guard cutters, Air crews, operations center, they're all there now, standing yeah. on the watch 24-7. And when the call comes in or there's a, a, you know, a smuggling case or there's an environmental spill, they're ready to go into action, and they do. And they always perform perfectly. I'm so proud of uh, the U.S. Coast Guard, especially here in the southwest region. Excellent. So, you know, we're obviously very proud of our military in San Diego. We have our different branches. And I know, you know, San Diego is – very much Coast Guard City. We are twenty first. What's what is it? What is why do you why do you proclaim that? And what is right. what's kind of the reach behind yeah. that? And why don't we have more assets? So so to be a Coast Guard City, only that title can only be given to a city by the United States Congress. So really, yes. So Congress right. actually has to approve that and. A city has to apply to Congress for it. And there's a there's a there's a there's a package process, an application, application. process, right? So Mayor Faulkner and his team, uh, very very big Coast Guard supporters, uh, very very um, just very good partners, good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent up a package, very thick, uh, very extensive package to Congress. Congress reviewed it and agreed that they do that the city shows overwhelming support to the men, women, and families of the United States Coast Guard. And designated us the 21st, and at the time, and, and I'll still maintain that we are, the largest Coast Guard city. This was back in February of 2017. My counterpart out in um, New York City, my sector commander out there, heard that a big city became a Coast Guard city. So he called me and said, well, we're going we're gonna to challenge the mayor out here in uh, New York City to apply. And I was like, yeah, good luck with that. I mean, that, New right. York's too big. It ain't going to – well, Congress – disagreed with me, agreed with him, and uh, the city was able to show that uh, that they should be a Coast Guard city. They got designated. Now, they're telling everybody designated as a Coast Guard city. So New York okay. City now is Coast Guard City, New York City. They're saying they're the largest, but they're saying by population. We beat them by square miles, so we're the, we're the largest. I'm saying we're the largest. I stand behind that. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't say how to define largest, so we're the largest. Coast Guard City. There you go. That's and you, it. And you got guys like Triple T going in and saving lives. That's right. What's the, what's the reach look like of the San Diego um, station? Yeah, so we, I mean, pretty far. We, you know, from the maritime border up to Dana Point along the coast, out 200 plus miles. But we also have the entire state of Arizona and the southern parts of Utah and Nevada. Yeah. So I have Lake Havasu, Lake Mead, Lake Powell, Lake Mojave, the Colorado River system. Uh, and, wow. that, you know, the entire state of Arizona alone is a huge place. And if you've ever been to Lake Powell, Glen Canyon, I mean, just trying to keep that under control is, uh, is a challenge. So we have Coast Guard forces out there. And also primarily on the coast. Yeah, I think I think a lot of folks aren't aware that Coast Guard isn't just coastal. Right. No, we we're on navigable waterways. Yep. So the Colorado River system is a navigable waterway. 
Lake Powell, Lake Mead, Lake Havasu. Yep. Got it. So a lot of reach. A lot of reach. A lot of work. And we do it We do it with a small force. And you guys do it well. You guys do it well. Unfortunately, we're going to take a short break. Folks, you're listening to Rise Up Radio. And uh, we are in the studio with Captain Joseph Buzella and Lieutenant Preston Taylor of the United States Coast Guard, San Diego's biggest Coast Guard city. Stick around. We'll be back in a few. AM 1170. San Diego. Hi, everybody. This is Michael Horn, and along with my co-host, Matt Passants, we host What's Cooking Today. Join us every weekday evening at 8 p.m. right here at AM 1170, The Answer. It's the nation's food, wine, restaurant, travel, and entertainment show. Join us each evening, Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. on AM 1170, The Answer. The moment I will never forget is when this drill instructor that I admire so much comes up to me straight in front of me, put her arm on my shoulder, and said, Good morning, Marine. PFC Summer Volkman became a Marine. Can you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. The few, the proud, the Marines. No one likes traffic. All you want to do is get home and relax. And if you're me, eat a burger. You know what else no one likes? Fake news. It's time for a reality check. And from someone who tells it like it is. And that's me, Andrea Kay. The Andrea Kay Show, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on AM 1170, The Answer. AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back, folks. You are listening to Rise Up Radio. I'm your host, James Carmody, and we have the United States Coast Guard in studio with us. We have Captain Joseph Buzella and Lieutenant Trustin Taylor. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be back. I, that song, the Coast Guard hymn, always fires me up. I love that song. So, Absolutely. Semper Paratus. Semper Paratus. Yeah, and you know, it's tomorrow's our uh, 228th birthday for the U.S. Coast Guard. Founded August 4th, 1790 by Alexander Hamilton under George Washington as president. Wow. Yeah, we're celebrating our, our birthday tomorrow. Anything fun for that? Oh, yeah. So today, right after we, we're done here, we're heading over to um, to uh, Admiral Baker's, uh, you know, the facility, the yes, naval sir. facility over there, or the military facility, and we're going to have the whole unit's going to be out there celebrating. Great. Food. Drinks, families, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. So it's going to be fun. 228 years. 228 years. Wow. Of Lots changed in 228 years. A little since, bit different. Since back Alexander then. Hamilton was Secretary of Treasury, he started the uh, Coast Guard back on August 4th, 1790. Wow. It was, uh, it was an effort to build, uh, bring revenues into our new, new country. Okay. Because uh, to build a strong country, you need a good economic foundation. And yep. He, uh, he created what was then called the Revenue Cutter Service, and they, their jo- job was to stop all vessels inbound from foreign ports to collect tariffs on imports, and then that money went to funding the U.S. government. And out of that, he had a vision of how to, how to be, have instruments of power. So strong foundation, a strong economic foundation led to very strong military, a very strong uh, 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 country economically. Uh, so it's, uh, he, he was a... Quite the visionary. Quite the visionary. Uh, and now it's like 228, laters, 228 years later. And now he's got to play. We got tariffs just in a different form. Yeah, and he's got to play. Yeah, that's right. And he's got Hamilton's got to play now, right? That's right. It's kind of a big deal. Hamilton, it is a big deal. So. I know. They even mentioned the Coast Guard in the play. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, at least they're you know, respectful. That's right. So what's going on What's going on with our borders? You know, things have kind of been shifting around. Yeah, it's been a it's been a... A busy time, uh, especially being here uh, as a sector commander during this 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 time. Uh, so you know everybody knows the land border. There's you know it's, there's a lot of talk about it as far as uh, you know President Trump wants to build a wall and 
and the the uh, the border's been uh, border patrol's been doing a very good jo- job on the land side, uh, really, um, you know, kind of trying to focus everything to the ports of entry, which is our legal avenue to get in. I People's mean, locally, we avenue. have what Tijuana and Otay yep. Mesa, yep. Otay Ranch. Yep, this, uh, yep, we have a few port of entries, Otay Mesa, um, uh, San Isidro. So uh, those are those are the uh, ports of entry to get in. And all controlled by Office of Field Operations under DHS. Border Patrol does the okay. you know the in between, keep uh, anybody coming over illegally. And then, but where I think a lot of folks for uh, you know kind of lose sight of is that. The border is not just the land border. It's one system. It's a land border and the maritime border. And so the land border has been squeezed pretty pretty good for the last year. As a result, we, we and I, I haven't been able to correlate it. So, you know, I got mm-hmm. folks looking at this. We're doing a study on it now. But, um, but you know, common sense would dictate if you squeeze there from one side, it's going to go somewhere else. So now yeah. we, and we have seen a 300% uptick in smuggling activity, both drugs and migrants, in the wow. last year. How far am before we even get into that, how far out does our border go before we hit international waters? Uh, twelve miles. So twelve from, miles. Yeah. So where the land border touches the maritime out twelve miles. That's that's our that's our. And border. is that west coast and east coast, or is that yeah, just yep, yep, okay? Yep, that's Got right. It. And then, but then it, but you know, but then it starts. Uh, then it starts extending out to we get into the exclusive economic zone, which is two hundred miles out. Yep. Uh, but yeah, territorial waters are are twelve miles. Okay. Yeah. And so you've seen this uptick in in smuggling. Yep. We have, and what does that look uh, like? so you know, it's uh, it's it's quite uh, interesting. Uh, the the uh, you know the cartels, the the smugglers, they're bringing over um, w- drugs, migrants. Um, now we're starting to see uh, dual loads. So dual loads, so which migrants and drugs at the same okay. time. And so uh, there, yeah, it's been been quite a quite a lot of activity going on. And you know, I think I think it, it's to be expected. So when you're thinking of the border and you got to think of it as one system and you got to, and it, you know, if something's going to happen on the land side, you know, maybe shutting, trying to shut it down. Some of that traffic's going to, going to spill over to the maritime side. Yeah. Wow. And are these, I mean, how far down in Mexico are, the, are you guys finding these boats? And well, we, we don't, we don't go past the maritime border because we, we're not authorized. Right. To go but like, to, okay. Oh, so if someone's a south. migrant. I mean, yeah. are they come in. So smuggling is occurring down. It's starting down off Central America, even yeah. further south. But we have uh, assets even further south uh, yeah. to extend our reach, not in territorial waters, but further down, uh, out just outside of, uh, of, of other nations' territorial waters, uh, standing by uh, with, yeah. with very good assets. Uh, and we're intercepting. So every. Every about, every about every two and a half, three months, a national security cutter will come into the port. Yep. And they're typically carrying anywhere just under a billion dollars in, in, in intercepted drugs. Wow. Yeah, a lot of so they're they're very effective and okay. uh, quite impressive uh, cutter. Uh, the taxpayers are certainly getting a return on on investment with their money. Okay, good. Those those, those cutters are, are game changers. Share a little. You know, I know you can't give specifics, but maybe some of the examples of. You know, boats coming into San Diego, Mission Bay, La Jolla, you right. know, up the coast. Yeah, so, the, the you know, the port, the, the smugglers just don't come into the port of San Diego or Mission Bay. They, they, will, they will actually find landing, they'll, they'll pick landing sites along the coast, even in remote areas, and just sure. run their boats up onto the shoreline, leave the boat, and unload uh, their drugs or unload the migrants yeah. and leave the boat and everybody disappears if we don't intercept them. Right. Uh, the, the challenge lately has been, uh, and we're monitoring it pretty closely, is State Bill 54, which is a sanctuary state bill. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if there's a migrant case, uh, and you know it gets it gets a little tricky, but the uh, you know the the local the local folks um, uh, may not be able to assist us uh, because uh, because if it's migrant related, and so there's a, there is great potential that um, migrants could come aboard, come come ashore, maybe be seen by local police, and uh, but they're prohibited uh, from from notifying us, right? Yeah. And, and you know, sidebar. You know, I talk to a lot of these these local police, yeah, and they all want to help, but they also have direction from State Bill Fifty Four, and so I think there's a, you know, I'm not here to debate the economic piece. What I yeah. what keeps me up at night is is not economic migrants uh, coming in. That's that's for civil leaders to debate. It's it's the other it's the nefarious actors, the what we call special interest aliens, folks that are not coming into our country for economic reasons. Right. Uh, they're coming here to get a job and better the no, family. They're here for nefarious reasons. And, uh, and that's what concerns me with, with SB 54 is the potential for a nefarious actor to get through. And so yeah. I'm, con- you know, I'm out in the community. I constantly talking to, uh, to boards. Have you seen any you. of that? Um, we have, yeah, we've, we've seen, um, we've, we've had cases where, um, the locals did not respond. Yeah. Um, and we, we were not able to get there in time, but we, we, we asked for help. We didn't get it. They wanted sure. to help us, but they, again, pressure from, 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 uh, from the bill. And so there have been folks that we've seen, uh, get, get, get kind of disappear into the community. And, and my question is, you know, can you tell me who got off that boat? If it's, if you can tell me it's economic, that's fine. That's, that's a, uh, again, a debate for civil leaders, but yeah. if it's a nefarious actor, um, that's not a good thing. And, and so I think there needs to be a debate on national security, public safety impacts to SB 54. And I think we need to iron those out. Yeah. So. And do you, I mean, do you see that conversation happening? I think so. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I think uh, it's being put, it's, 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 that, I think we're out talking about it. I think, yep. um, I think uh, uh, other Agencies are talking about it, and I, I think uh, that the civil leaders are hearing hearing the um, the vulnerabilities, maybe the risks associated with this, and they're starting to to address it. We just, I mean, we just recently had a case where where uh, we did get some assistance from the locals, but okay, but um, but we but we were very we were very clear very clear that we do not know. We kind of changed our wording a little bit. We said we do not know who's in that boat. So we need your help to determine who's in that boat. Yep. And uh, and they assisted us, and we were we were a little worried about that that particular boat. Sure. Yeah. Rightfully it, so. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed you know, it's all in communication and how things are languaged. Right. And I think as we continue to have this dialogue, you know, we'll, there will be more clarification of what SB fifty four, what the restrictions are. Yep. And then how those apply, and what what the what state and local uh, law enforcement entities can do and can't do. But I can tell you, we can't do it alone. The, the Coast yep. Guard can't do it alone. Border Patrol, it is an all-hands-on-deck effort to protect the uh, Southwest region and the United States from illegal uh, smuggling activity. Absolutely. What are, um, you know, what are some things as you know, local San Diegan citizens we need to be aware of um, you know, on this issue as well as you know, what do we need to know about you know, the Coast Guard station and what you guys are doing and right. how we can support you? Yes. Uh, so, I always say if you if you um, if you see something suspicious in the port or off the coast, yep. call it in. Uh, Who do they call? Channel sixteen. Pick pick up your radio. Okay. If you um, if you're unsure, if you're not, some folks and I and Channel I. Channel sixteen. That's that's national. I remember that back in my Cape Cod days. 
Yes, uh, channel 16 is the uh, the um, international distress uh, frequency. Just click okay. it. But if you don't want to go over the airway, you know, where everybody can hear you, then yeah. you can always call uh, our Jayhawk, which is uh, area code 619-278-7033. That's 619-278-7033. And that will, um, that will get you right to the Jayhawk via your cell phone. And uh, you can report what you see. We, if you think, if if you're, if you're unsure or something's just kind of nagging at you out there, just call it in, and we'll go take a look. And you'd be surprised uh, some of the calls that we get, and we do go take a look. Yeah, they turn out to be um, not somebody out just having a good day sailing. They're out doing some bad stuff, trying to get stuff into the port. So yeah, yeah. So uh, call it in. See if you see it, okay. call it. But I'll tell you, the Coast Guard. We do this. We, you know this this job where. This big job here in San Diego with 300 active duty forces, about 150 reservists, wow, 14 civilians, and about um, 600 auxiliaries, which are volunteer volunteers that uh, help us uh, do our job. So, so big job, small force, but we have cool assets. And uh, but what what makes what gets the job done are like guys like Triple T that that's sitting next to me here, and the folks sit stand on the watch back at the unit most dedicated patriotic Americans you could possibly work with the highest quality of folks. Most dead. I mean, my challenge with some, most of the time is telling them, no, like they're going. Right. And I got to say, ah, no, let's pull back a little bit. Uh, that That's probably going to exceed the, the capacity in, in your capability. Yeah. Yeah. They don't say no much. I actually, they'd never say no. <laughs> they're probably doing right. Triple T. You think? Absolutely. Always ready to answer that call. That's right. Good answer. And he, you know, he went up to the mudslides too and pulled a family of five off. Uh, yeah, I remember that up in Santa Barbara. Off a yeah. roof, yeah, and saved yeah. two dogs. We got more press on the dogs than we did the family. I'm a dog lover, so I, yeah. I, I can support that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a that was a good day too. So, Mr. Triple T here. Well, thank you, Triple T. Thank you for all you do. Appreciate yes. you and, and your crew. Captain Brazil, any parting words for our listeners? No, uh, happy birthday to the United States Coast Guard. We're proud to, to be here serving uh, 228 years of, of service to the country, this great country. And I think the Coast Guard, the United States is, uh, is very strong today because, uh, because uh, efforts of the United States Coast Guard. Of course, other service, our other services are out there doing great work too, but I'm here to talk about the Coast Guard and very, very proud of what we do for our country. So, Absolutely. Thanks Thank for you for all us. that you do. Happy birthday, United States Coast Guard. You're looking at Rise Up Radio. We'll be back in a few. Thank you. This radio station exists to fulfill your insatiable appetite for news and information. If it happens here or around the world and it matters to you, we'll be the first to tell you about it and what it means. But that's not all. Our sister station exists to give your life meaning and purpose through the teaching of the Holy Bible. AM 1170, The Answer, exists to tell you about the world. Cape Race, 1210 AM, exists to change the world. Together, we can do it. Hey folks, Green Machine Radio. I'm Dave. And I'm Michelle. This is the only Green Machine Radio show in San Diego. Check us out, AM 1170, The Answer. Every Sunday at 1 o'clock. No matter who we are or where we come from, we all experience difficulties in life. Military veterans know that sometimes it takes strength and determination to make it through. Whether it's physical challenges or struggles on the inside, it takes strength to ask for help when you need it. 
Learn how veterans like us have reached out for help and hear stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. AM 1170, The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. You are listening to Rise Up Radio. I'm your host, James Carmody. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. This is episode 129. We are in our third year going strong. Thank you for all the love and support. And uh, you're following us online, sdriseup.com, as well as Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all those fun social media platforms. Um, but really, it's just truly an honor and a privilege week in, week out to lead these conversations for America's Sinus City and our servant leaders. We have another great servant leader in studio with us, uh, the commanding officer of Naval Base Point Loma, Captain Brian Dixon. Welcome to the show, sir. James, thanks for having me on, on the show. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a privilege to have you here. You got a you got a big job. You need a lot under your charge, but you didn't just wake up this way. You know, talk a little bit about your background. You know, where, where are you from, and you know, when made you get into the service? Sure, James. Um, before I joined the part of the Navy, the Commander Naval Installations Command, it's a part of our Navy that manages our bases. Yeah, I was a submarine officer, so I had the pleasure to serve on four different submarines. And uh, all the submarines were based in there in the Pacific, and all of them came into San Diego at one point. So I've been uh, coming to San Diego for my entire Navy career for over 20 years. Wow. And uh, so my road into submarines was kind of different. I grew up in Wyoming. Okay. Uh, you would think that probably not too many people in the Navy from the middle of the country, but I think we recruit pretty heavily from the middle part of the country. People would probably want to get to the ocean because there's not around them. a good job there in the middle of the country. Yeah, so we're doing pretty good there. And uh, so I, I joined the Navy with the expectations I was going to fly. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, so I saw Top Gun, and I thought, hey, this Inspired. is going to be life for me. And uh, But I also had really bad eyesight. And uh, so the Naval Academy kind of uh, gave me a different perspective that that wasn't going to work out for me. Yeah. And I asked my roommate. He said, hey, I'm going to go into submarines. Turns out he later went into aviation, so it just kind of, you never know where you're going to end he up. He was a lost leader. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I ended up going into the submarine force, and it's been an outstanding experience. Um, the quality of people, I'd say, is the number one benefit of being in the submarine force. People that are very dedicated, hardworking, extremely smart, and, and they're challenging in that way. Some of the junior most people on my submarine when I was a commanding officer inspired me to work harder to achieve higher uh, goals for myself because of their dedication. And then the other aspect is just the challenge of a submarine environment. Uh, we are a very detailed-oriented culture because uh, details matter in a very complicated system that keeps everybody safe to keep that particular part of our Navy working well. It has been an absolute pleasure being in the submarine force. But after being a command officer of a submarine, I needed other challenges, so I transitioned into uh, command of a, a base. Yeah. What – um. You know, for our listeners, what does, you know, our, our submarine assets in the Navy look like? You know, how many, what's our scope, what's our range, and what are they covering and responsible for these days? We have uh, two different types of submarines. We have attack submarines and ballistic missile submarines primarily. We okay. also have a small group of other submarines called guided missile uh, submarines, but they act pretty much like our attack submarines do. So our attack submarines are what people think of like World War II movies. They fire torpedoes. They fire short-range missiles. Mm. Uh, they're used primarily to take out our enemy's ships, uh, submarines. They're also used to be the eyes of the Navy because they can go to places other people can't and mm -hmm. observe things from the water's edge. Our ballistic missile submarines fire a much larger missile that can go much greater distance, and that's part of our nation's nuclear deterrence, and they provide the, the primary backbone of that deterrence, which deters other nations from attacking us with their nuclear weapons. 
And we have about 50 attack submarines and about 14 of those ballistic missile submarines. Wow. And how many of those are stationed here in San Diego? So we have uh, right now five attack submarines stationed here, and we only station attack submarines in this base. And then we use um, some of the older submarines here. And we do that because our nation is smart about how we employ our submarines. We have newer submarines called Virginia Class. They're okay. all going out to Hawaii. And so these older submarines are coming to San Diego. That's a good thing because each of those submarines has different maintenance requirements that have cost associated with it. Sure. So we're making smart decisions to keep the maintenance base for those older submarines here. Um, so that provides better value for the American taxpayers. And it gives us a very capable submarine still because we put a lot of investment in keeping those older submarines cutting edge at the same time. Got it. Okay. So, you know, we had your predecessor, Howard Warner, on here before. Great guy, great sailor. When did you take over the role, and and you know what are you what are you excited about? So I took over from Howard last summer. Okay. And as I mentioned before, I had a lot of assignments here in San Diego. Came in. Yeah. I was on the base working at the submarine squadron when Howard took over as the commanding officer of the base. Okay. And Howard and I had a couple opportunities um, before I ever knew I was going to be the CEO of the sub of the submarine base. And he walked me through some of the initiatives, some historic buildings that needed redevelopment, some recreation areas that he wanted to expand. And uh, I was really excited with his vision. So coming in behind him. I'd seen the progress that he had made, and then a lot of those ideas, I said, hey, I like the direction we're going to go. Let's fulfill on And uh, we kept pushing forward. So it's exciting to, that I had that perspective of kind of the ground floor of where Howard was taking it, and in many respects, we're going in the same direction. And then there's new challenges, some new opportunities, so we're, we're also growing in other ways. I'm actually uh, taking down some old buildings that we don't need on the base anymore yep. to help pay for uh, building up what we really do want on the base. Got it. Exciting. Share with our listeners, you know, a little bit of the, the backstory and the history of the base. So uh, I, I, probably a lot of people don't recognize, but the Navy Base Point Loma, a Navy base, actually started as an Army base for the U.S. military. I don't think I knew that, actually. And so in the 19th oh. century, late in the 19th century, the Army took it over and established an Army post here. And it was part of a defense network on the California coast of artillery emplacements to prevent attacks from the sea from attacking the United States. And uh, throughout World War One and World War II, the Army made investment to build bigger and bigger guns, larger and larger gun emplacements, and more troops uh, to guard the port of San Diego. Uh, after World War II, we recognized that type of defense structure was kind of antiquated and no longer valuable for our nation. So the Army pulled out in the 1950s. The Navy started moving in en masse because we'd had submarines here for over 50 years at that point. Um, but the Navy's expansion after World War II in San Diego required us to have a submarine base. And so that's when the Navy took it over as a submarine base. Um, but that, that change is continuing. So it still remains a submarine base, but of the 15,000 people that work on Navy Base Point Loma, two-thirds of them are actually civilian. And a majority of those people are not involved with the submarines. They're actually involved in research and development. They work at commands like Spaywar and SSC Pacific, uh, specifically doing cutting-edge research in terms of communication, radar design, sensor design, uh, cyber warfare to enhance our nation's uh, security. Um, those people are research and development. So when you talk about Navy Base Point Loma, you got to say research and development. We also do a lot of training. We have like cutting-edge training facilities for our folks. And then in addition to that, we still support um, the submarines in terms of their maintenance. Got it. Can you share some of those initiatives and some of the bigger stuff that's going on on base? So some of the initiatives that we have 
um, in terms of building the base for tomorrow. So several of our commands are investing uh, money into developing um, new infrastructure for their, their base. And then we also have some initiatives that we're looking for partnership in the community of uh, bringing in different organizations to support redevelopment of different parts of our base in terms of those initiatives. Um, we will those get subbed out to the private sector, or how will that work? There's a potential for that is, okay. is that um, looking at pr- public-private ventures. I think a lot of people don't recognize that the Navy housing, the Navy still has housing for our active duty service members, that all those are operated by a private company. And so the Navy leased the land, and then a private company comes in and manages those um, properties that we use for housing. Mm. We may have some opportunities like that in the future on particular parts of Navy Base Point Loma to do similar aspects, which would give us better re- uh, better facilities for our people to do work. It creates the opportunities for the the public the pro- the uh, private sector um, to to create a little bit of value for themselves and makes better use of the land for for everybody in San Diego. Got it. Okay, M- makes sense. Um, how long? How long will you be CEO? How long does that period run? So my my ter- time as a CEO is approximately uh, two more years. So okay. we have about a three year tour, and that's pretty consistent across our enterprise. Is three year tours for CEOs. Got it. Okay. And what you know, Brian? What are you most excited about yourself, and, and what do you have kind of coming down on the horizon? So some of the things we're really interested in is is helping in the community of San Diego. We look at we have two challenges. One is housing, yes. and the other is transportation. Yep. So housing is we we're starting small. It's not going to be a giant effort, but looking at areas that we could potentially use portions of the base to actually improve housing situation in the metro area. So on my base, we've identified a couple areas that are under housing studies. Um, that we could use that public-private venture process to add additional housing in the metro area for our sailors. That would have a positive impact on transportation. That'll take a number of years. So that's, yeah. a, that's a long-term effort, but if we don't start now, we're never going to get there. So we're beginning that process. The other part is to affect transportation directly. Okay. So we're reaching out to MTS to analyze our workforce and where they actually work and uh, determine what is the best options that we can partner with MTS to provide better busing options, better mass transit opportunities to encourage primarily our civilian workforce to take advantage of that, to unload some of the cars on our roads. We also, through the Navy, has a program called TIP, Transportation Incentive Program, which they actually pay a stipend of money for people to use mass transit instead of driving their cars. And that helps really? defray the cost, and that really is like federal money right back into the San Diego economy, which impacts transportation. We're focusing on informing our workforce of those opportunities and making it realistic that they will, will be incentivized to actually take advantage of those opportunities. And then we also are supporting by doing a better job of communicating our, our workforce the van pool options. Mm. So van pool is a great opportunity. A van is provided uh, through a grant money. And then people can use that and essentially do uh, large carpool operations, which also can significantly impact the cars that are on the roads. And anybody that's been in Point Loma knows it's a tough road to be. We're not going to make that road bigger. So (laughs) we definitely have to be smarter about how we bring people onto our base. And we're focused on doing a good job in that area. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, uh, surprisingly refreshing, the initiatives that you guys are working on for transportation. You know, it's great to hear. All right. Appreciate it, James. Thanks. Folks. Unfortunately, we're going to take a short break. Stick around. We'll be back in a few. AM 1170, The Answer. 
Del Wamsley here. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, The Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. The Del Wamsley Radio Show, weekdays at 7 p.m. and weekends at 8 p.m., right here on AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. No one likes traffic. All you want to do is get home and relax. And if you're me, eat a burger. You know what else no one likes? Fake news. It's time for a reality check. And from someone who tells it like it is. And that's me, Andrea Kay. The Andrea Kay Show, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on AM 1170, The Answer. There's always a moment of truth where it's either put up or shut up. We were yelling our hearts out. Even in our weakness, even in our pain, we continue to push. I don't know where the pain went to, but all I know is that I had what it took. I am a United States Marine. PFC Daryl Willis serves his country as a Marine. Will you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. AM 1170, The Answer. Welcome back. You are listening to Rise Up Radio. I'm in studio with Commanding Officer Naval Base Point Loma, Captain Brian Dixon. Brian, welcome back, sir. Thanks. It's good to be back. Absolutely. So, you know, Naval Base Point Loma has got a long history in San Diego, doing great things. Obviously, originally, you know, operating a lot of submarines out of there. Um, now, fast forward, we're in 2018 at 15,000 people on base, two-thirds of which are civilians. And you have a lot of research and development. You just have a lot of stuff going on on base. We do. So um, a lot of that research and development is focused in on uh, communications and the cyber front, and that's requiring mm-hmm. us to focus a little bit on building the infrastructure to support that. So that's an area that we piece we have going on. In addition to that, we have a lot of great recreational opportunities going on the base as well. Yeah. And um, occasionally we have opportunities to open the base up to the public so they get a chance to see what the base is all about and a part right. of the, the base that people don't know about. Okay. Uh, this weekend, in fact, uh, going on right now, we have an event called RoboSub. And Robo-Sub. it's sponsored okay. by an organization called RoboNation. And, and their charter really is to get kids excited about technology. And their competition is for schools. And they have 47 teams this year from schools from China, Singapore, throughout the United States, both high schools and universities. Hmm. And these schools have built autonomous mini-submarines. Uh, to go through a course in a large pool that we have had on base for about 50 years, which originally was developed to test transducers for the Navy, but also makes a great proving ground 
to test out autonomous mini submarines. So these schools throughout the year build these mini submarines to go through a complex course so they have to shoot little torpedoes, uh, go through an obstacle course, manipulate particular objects in, on the pool floor. Mm -hmm. And uh, then ultimately one of these schools wins this competition. This event is open to the public. Anybody that's interested in seeing what's going on, they have a big jumbotron over the, the, uh, the pool so you can see what the sub's actually doing. And both on Saturday and Sunday, they're having events. It's on Catalina Boulevard, uh, which is the road you take to Cabrillo National Monument on the right side. And on both sides, we have some parking lots open. Parking's challenging, so you can take uh, some sort of ride sharing or you can carpool up there. That'd be great. But we do have parking available for it. Short walk gets you down to the pool, and you can take part in the activity. So it'd be a great thing for any, anybody interested in where technology is going. Sounds great. What, what are the times? So um, the times are from uh, 9 to 3 every okay. day is when you'll, the, they'll be open for that time period. And is that both Saturday and Sunday? It is. Got it. And then later this year, we have another open base event, and this is more down where our, we park the submarines, uh, called Cabrillo Fest. And it's um, a, an event that celebrates uh, Juan uh, Rodriguez Cabrillo's discovery of San Diego. And uh, he discovered San Diego on September 28, uh, 1542. So on 28th September this year, which is a Friday at 3.30 at the National Monument, there's a wreath lane there. This is an international event. So we have folks from both Portugal, Spain, Mexico come out for this event, as well as the, our, our representatives from the United States. Uh, anybody that's familiar with Point Loma knows there's a strong Portuguese community, so this is a huge community event as well. So the wreath lane's on Friday. And then on Saturday, there's a brief reenactment in our Smuggler's Cove, which is on Ballast Point, which is in the heart of the base. Uh, this is one of the few times throughout the year that we actually open the base up. So we have open access to so we'll allow people to come onto the base to participate in this event. And the times for that are 11 to 4, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, so it's a great opportunity. We invite all of San Diego to come out to what should be a, an exciting event and gives them kind of a historical per, uh, perspective on where San Diego started. San Diego's history. And so that's the Cabrillo event on September 28th? It is. And it's uh, 29th is when the main event is that actually happens on the base. The 28th is more on uh, the National Park. Okay. And where where can people go to get more information about the event? So Cabrillo Festival has a website, so I encourage people to go to their website to get the details on it. Got it. So folks, you're going to want to Google Cabrillo Festival. Um, we'll also see if we can't get the link up on our website so people have That'd more information great. and come out for that. Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you get the kids doing the Robo Sub competition. That is so cool. Yeah, is the kids awesome? from forty-seven different schools. Absolutely, and uh, it's an international event in of itself, and it's exciting to see kind of the collaboration and the competition at the same time. And it's sponsored actually by SSC Pacific, which is one of the Navy's premier commands dedicated to technological development. So there's there's some probably some ID sharing going, and also recruitment for people that can go work as as engineers and technicians at that uh, command. Wow. Okay. So you guys have a lot going on. We and do. I know you're also, you're doing some redevelopment. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we, we touched on the recreational facilities. I want to come back to that though. Like, you know, what are our local veterans and, and kind of retirees need to know? Like how do they take advantage of this stuff? I'm glad you brought it up. Is the uh, veterans, this is San Diego has a very big veterans population. Absolutely. And, I, and as a base CEO after being here about a year, I think that they're kind of missing out on some great opportunities we have on the base. So if they have folks come in from out of town, uh, we have a hotel property, NJS, that is open for our, our veterans to utilize and to reserve that for family guests coming out. 
And uh, sometimes uh, San Diego, despite a lot of great hotel properties, they're they're at a premium. Um, so we definitely want to host folks at that uh, facility. We have a great pool on base. We have a fitness center that's open to our veterans. Uh, we also have uh, Thursdays and Fridays. We have a social hour out right on the waterfront. And front. is it any branch or is it just Navy? Any branch. You guys so are discriminating. We're not okay. discriminating against anyone. I mean, I, after all, I came from an Army background. I mean, Marines might have to do some burpees so, and push-ups before yeah, they can get in. Perhaps. But uh, otherwise, they're, uh, everyone's welcome on board. And uh, interesting point is uh, we talk a lot about the submarines, but we also have a large group of EODs, so our uh, Navy uh, explosive experts. Uh, they have a large uh, command that works on our base as well, as well as the training command. So the base is expanding to support them as well. Great. What um you know what do San Diegans you know civ- civ- civilians need to know about Naval Base Point Loma? So one of the things that would really be helpful is um, as ride sharing becomes more um, popular, and especially our ride sharing driver community. Yeah. One of the big places they could help out the base is um, going on to, uh, right now Uber has on their website, so San Diego Uber Greenlight Hub, just Google those words, San Diego Uber Greenlight Hub, and there's instructions on how to get credentials to drive on the base. So if you have a clean driving record, you're an Uber driver, you probably got a clean record, uh, there's a four-step process to go through, and then you'll get an ID that allows you to drive on to all three of the Navy bases here in San Diego. And then that allows for them to do drives for our junior sailors, many of which are at a point in life that they can't afford a car, sure. or they're going out and we would really would prefer them not to drive home. Um, that would really help out a lot with our Navy active duty community, allowing them to get out, experience San Diego, and then to get home back onto the base safely. So that'd be a big impact. Um, and also, um, we open that up, that credentialing, to any ride-sharing company and also taxi companies that are interested in participating in that to create more opportunities for easy access for active duty to get on and off the base. That would be a big help. Yeah, and that's in its San Diego Uber Greenlight Hub? And Absolutely. Okay. Okay, great. What else, what else can we do as a community to support the base? So um, – I, I think that one of the things that's impressed me about San Diego is uh, how warm this community has been to the active duty group. So since I was a junior officer on my first submarine visiting the gas lamp district, uh, every aspect of San Diego has been very warm and inviting. And I think that taking advantage of great opportunities to dialogue, come out to open base events, um, and uh, just the interaction of, of improving our technology. So people that are into technological development, Reach out to the active duty groups here, the technological groups that are working here. So I think there's great business opportunities mm-hmm. as well as great community opportunities in both areas. Got it. Okay. So, I, I mean, I love what you're doing with the transportation. I want to I want to come back to that again okay. and make sure that we're really hitting on that. You know, obviously, ride share is very important, but your partnerships with the MTS. That's it. I'm glad you brought that up again. Is is that uh, we just had our first meeting where, as a base, we met with them. Uh, I have the organization, the Navy that oversees me, is Commander Navy Region Southwest, and their offices are down in Broadway, right across the Midway. They're talking MTS as well. Yeah. But frankly, the other two bases in in San Diego, Navy Base San Diego and Navy Base Coronado, are much bigger bases than ours. So their their primary focus, and rightfully so, is on those populations to manage their traffic flow, and then partnerships with MTS. We had not recognized, I think, the opportunity that there is between MTS and Navy Base Point Loma. So we just started that discussion on moving forward with that. 
And in our first discussion, I recognized we both had kind of some misconceptions of the other in terms mm. of what the base was willing to do in terms of opening some of the base up for a bus routes um, and what that would take, and then also what MTS was willing to do. And I was really excited to hear that, um, yeah, we just kind of had a misconception of that, and we're moving forward that, you know, and it's probably going to take a few, at least a few months and maybe a couple of years, but uh, I think this journey is you know, definitely in a positive direction to make a difference for both reducing traffic and uh, creating some better transportation operation opportunities for our workforce. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. Obviously, you have, I mean, you have a Navy base, you have all of your security concerns and all that, but if you can reduce cost, reduce impacts on the environment, make things more convenient for folks, why not? Absolutely. I'm glad you bring up the security aspect. I mean, there's a balance to this is, sure. is that we have to stay focused on maintaining a, a solid security perimeter around this cutting edge research, the nuclear powered submarines. Everybody recognizes that security has to be paramount in everything we do, but we can do it in a smart way uh, that doesn't disadvantage some other opportunities we're trying to do. Um, because when we talk about security, it's it's one of the three things I focus on: uh, serve our population, um, build a strong base, and uh, protect it. But we're not just protecting the base; we're protecting the environment. We're protecting the kids that um, go to our child development centers. Uh, in all aspects, we see as a base is that protection mission is paramount to what we do. Absolutely, it's it's critical, and we thank you for that, civilians. Um, excited to. Get involved. I know you have, you know, the upcoming Cabrillo Festival. Um, I think that's fantastic. Um, parting words for our listeners. So um, I thoroughly have enjoyed my time in San Diego throughout my career. Um, it's great to be on Rise Up Radio, and I appreciate Hopefully I'll have some great follow-on discussions on our initiatives going forward. So great time. Captain Brian Dixon, it's been a pleasure and an honor having you on, sir. Likewise. Thank you for all that you do, and just, you know, so appreciate our United States Navy. Awesome. Have a great day. Folks, you've been listening to Rise Up Radio. Remember, get out there, make a difference, and rise up.